Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Product Marketing Life podcast, which is brought to you by Product Marketing Alliance. My name's Bryony Pierce, and I'm the Content Manager here at PMA. This week's podcast is sponsored by the Product Marketing Festival. For those of you who haven't heard about it yet, it'll be coming to a screen near you between June 8th and June 14th, and will be featuring headline acts from companies like Amazon, Uber, Adobe, and Facebook, talking about everything from research all the way through to optimization. To get your ticket, just head over to festival.productmarketingalliance.com. As part of this series, we're connecting with product marketers all over the world about topics they're super passionate about. And in this episode, we'll be speaking to Andy Raskin. Most of you will have probably heard of Andy, but for those of you who haven't, he's an industry go-to when it comes to strategic messaging and positioning. Andy's been heading up his own consultancy since 2013 now, and during that time, he's worked with tons of huge global brands like Salesforce, Uber, Intel, and First Round Capital to either help them tell their story or deliver strategic story training. Pre-2013, he held senior product marketing positions at 500 Friends, Terracotta and Mashery. And going back to the very start of his product marketing journey, Andy spent two years at Skype. Anyway, before I derail the entire podcast with Andy's CV, let's pass over. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, Bernie. Great to be here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. We're really excited to have you today. Before we kind of get stuck into the heart of the show, for everyone listening, could I just get you to please give a bit of an overview of your consultancy company? Uh, sure. So, yeah, I st- as you said, I started in 2013. Uh, I... At that point, I was the VP of, uh, kind of interim VP of marketing at a company called 500 Friends, which was a retail loyalty platform. And, uh, I joined them about, um, a year before the company was acquired. And, and when that happened, I, I asked the CEO, so, hey, was it worth, uh, hiring me? Uh, he was a very straightforward, uh, a straight shooter, he would tell me the truth. And he said, yes. And I said, well, could you, uh, could you sum it up? Like, what did I deliver? And he said, you got our story straight. And that was really great for me because I had been thinking about like doing this for a long time as, you know, just focusing on that. And, but I had, I, I didn't do it because I thought, well, you know, there's really, who's going to, what CEO has a line item for like the narrative? And, in their budget. Uh, but he said, and, and so I said to him, listen, would I, if I had said that to you a year ago, like I'm going to get the story straight and I want you to pay me this amount of money and this amount of stock, would you have done it? And he said, yes. And I said, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> he said, uh, and, and I said, I don't believe you for a second. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, and then he sent out, this was a YC company, Y Combinator. And so he sent out a, an email to the Y Combinator founders list talking about uh, me and, and what, uh, what he saw as that value. And that led to uh, engagements with three other YC companies. And that kind of started it where uh, CEOs uh, contact me for uh, getting clear on the narrative uh, and then aligning their leadership teams around it uh, and that's the work I've been doing since since then. Yep 
And then I guess, so we all see this positioning template plastered everywhere, you know, for target customer description, our product is name product category and so on. So given that's your speciality, so for any product marketers listening who are currently following that approach to positioning, what would be your argument for stopping and taking this more customer centric route? Well, yeah, first of all, I that's exactly the template that I learned when I was in business school, which was back in the mid 90s. Um, you know, I tried to trace back, like, where does that come from? Uh, as far as I can see, the, the first place that I saw it, it was uh, crossing the chasm. Uh, Jeffrey Moore refers to it as, quote unquote, a proven formula uh, for uh, for for creating the message and, and communicating in a way that, that crosses the chasm from early adopters to mainstream. Um, but, you know, if you look at this, it really is, it really is based on this metaphor that, that this framework that I call descriptive positioning, where um, it's you, you have a problem, customer, you have a problem, we have the solution and the positioning is about, well, let me tell you what's, uh, why it's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this really sets you up to be what I call the, the arrogant doctor. <laughs> so you, the, the customer has a, a pain. Uh, we're going to list up all the pain points. Uh, we are going to talk about our solution and how we re- relieve those. But a lot of what we're going to talk about is, well, why our, our cure is better than uh, the cures of other doctors. And so you know, in a world where there weren't that many competitors, uh, maybe that was okay because, you know, you could, it, you could reasonably expect customers to kind of figure out whose claims hold water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, you know, with cloud infrastructure, coding frameworks, uh, you know, it's just so fast to go from, from idea to feature to product company. Uh, I, I saw research that said that there's now five times as many competitors for a new company out of the gate than there would have been, you know, five or 10 years ago. And so you're, the, the customer is basically being screamed at, um, by all these folks. Let me tell you why about our unique differentiators. Uh, and, uh, in the end, uh, it becomes almost impossible for a message like that to to reach customers. And even if it does, you know, for for them to kind of suss it out, like, is it true? Uh, All the rest. Uh, So I've seen the the way that I've seen that companies who are really breaking out of this noise, uh, doing it is is starting in a completely different place. Mm -hmm. And do you find that a lot of the companies that you go into, are they using kind of a statement like this or are they in a blank canvas or what kind of status are they at when you go in? I'd say it's kind of all over the map, but mostly whether whether or not they're uh, consciously using that framework, they are typically they are typically their, their messaging is of the form of let me tell you about our stuff. Uh, let, it's describing our stuff. Uh, our product, our service, et cetera, mm-hmm. making claims. Mm-hmm. And then if I just go back to, I know in our first kind of email conversation, I mentioned your tweet about narrative versus descriptive positioning. And for anyone listening, I'll embed that in the post below. 
Can you talk us through the main differences between those two and then the benefits of using the former over the latter? The so so for me, um, as I said, I was trained in what I would call descriptive positioning that that template that from crossing the chasm that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually a software engineer coming out of school as computer science uh, undergrad, and a friend and I had an idea for an app. This was a, a Windows app back in the dot com years and. Uh, of the two of us, I spoke English fluently, so we decided I should write the business plan. So I wrote it. We sent it to a bunch of VCs, and the reaction was really bad. And one of them wrote back to me, uh, Andy, uh, your, I, I rate every business plan I get on a scale of 1 to 10, and yours is a 1. Ouch. And, <laughs> and just to make sure, just to make sure, uh, he wrote in parentheses, worst. So, <laughs> To know that we like his scale did not start from at the top. <laughs> uh, then he wrote, uh, "Not a compelling story," and I didn't really pay much attention to it until a few weeks later. I was walking by this Barnes and Noble, and there was a sign in the window, and it said, "For anyone who wants to tell a compelling story," <laughs> as me. And there was an arrow pointing to these books, and they turned out to be screenwriting books. Mm-hmm. So I read these books, and they presented a, a, a very different way of telling the story, structuring it uh, from very different from that uh, template you mentioned. And so we gave it a try and I'm sure we did a, a horrible job, but it was enough so that everything started to change. We started to get interest from VCs when we sent out to a new batch. We started uh, the, the pitches went better when we, we, met them in person and we had a term sheet you know investment uh a few months later ever since then i've been thinking about like what is what is the correlation of the like how does that fit to the to the business case because we're not building a three-act screenplay here uh you know we're we're often very constrained in messaging to to just a few words in some cases and what I started to see in the pattern of companies like Salesforce, Drift, um, Zora, is they were doing something that they, they were leading not with a claim, but they were leading with what I call a change in the world. Mm-hmm. And specifically a change from an old game to a new game, meaning there was some old game in Zora's case, uh, you know, we would sell things to people. People would just buy, want to buy them and own them. That And that game was a great game for many, many years. But something changed. Of course, you know, it's like sort of technology and cell phone, phones and all the rest, um, smartphones, uh, made it possible for this new game called subscription or more broadly, uh, Zora calls it usership, where people would have the, want the benefits of things without the owning of those things. Mm-hmm. What's really fascinating about this is this story is true, whether Zora exists or not. It's really not about Zora. And it, it what it's about is, is urgency, uh, for leaving the status quo you know talk to most salespeople. what what's the reason they lose most deals it's not a competitor it's 
it's uh it's the, the, they just did nothing um but even even versus competitors by kind of championing this new game it becomes your identity it becomes your brand and people just kind of associate you with having sort of the best take and and ultimately the best product uh that's how it seems to work anyway mm-hmm. and then i know in your consultancy business it's kind of all about going in and helping ceos and executives and I was actually listening to a podcast you did with Drift not too long ago where you spoke about the importance of positioning and storytelling coming from the CEO. But for any product marketers who are listening to this right now and maybe don't have that level of buy-in from the above, what would your advice to them be? And then like, how can they start going about kind of starting that shift and getting the C-suite involved in these sorts of projects? You know, Product marketing is this fascinating role. Um, it's the more than any other role. It really cuts across so many parts of a company. Um, in when I've held the role, um, <clears throat> on the one hand, it, it, it is it is so such a, a place of power because you know, for instance, like uh, when I was at Mashery, um, we were losing deals for a little while, and so I did this kind of analysis on our pricing. Uh, what we were charging for, kind of how we were doing it, tiers and all this. And um, it wound up having a, we, we wound up changing the pricing quite a bit and, and it wound up having a huge impact on, on the success of the company. Uh, and at the same time, you're kind of responsible for things that are almost above your pay grade, <laughs> above your, your, your level of authority in the organization. You know, so to bring together sales and marketing and product, uh, often others, uh, to enact these kinds of things kind of needs a lot of leadership sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at Mastery, what I thought was really great was, you know, the CEO, Oren Michaels, was was just a really good storyteller. Like, he had this story that that, like, he was all in on it. I didn't have to you know, coach him or, or cajole him and anything like that. He, he kind of set that table for me and then I could play in it. And in a way, I, I almost think it's, it's, it's a, it's a losing battle if your CEO is just not into this and, um, you know, and, and you're going to try to convince them. I, I've seen it happen a couple of times, but it, almost always it's, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I would say for product marketers, and you know, some product marketers, some marketing folks, when I say that I work with the CEO, kind of take offense at that. Like, hey, this is my our, my territory. Um, and others are like, yes, I I just really want to get our CEO like nailed down on this, mm-hmm. um, so that we can, so that I can do my job, um, yeah. and. Uh, obviously, those are the kind of situations where where I wind up playing more. Mm-hmm. 
And then, so next up, again, if I refer back to your tweet, and again, everyone, I will put this in the thread below. So the chart you shared about descriptive positioning and narrative positioning, um, I shared this with our Slack community, uh, and they were all super excited that we were getting on you on the show. Um, and a lot of people put some questions forward. So I'm just going to run through some of those for people. Um, so the first one was in regards to that descriptive and narrative positioning table, kind of which is which one is inherently better than the other? And then, if neither, how do you choose an approach? Well, in my experience, the narrative one, the narrative positioning seems to win every time. It's like, who are the, who are the category leaders? What are the story, what's the story they're telling? Um, the, as we get more and more into this world where, uh, you know, customers are bombarded by claims it's the ones who are telling a story that is is not that is not about claims that is actually about the customers mm -hmm. so uh, maybe I'm biased because I've been talking about this for a while um, but I certainly have you know tried both mm -hmm. and um, you know, particularly in sales conversations, because, you know, a lot of what product marketers are doing is at B2B companies anyways, is, is, is arming sales teams. You know, what we want to do is set up a really great conversation on those first couple of calls, you know, and every, all the calls really. And, you know, going in and, and saying, you have a problem, we have a solution, here's where we're better. It just seems like not as good a, a setup for a, a a conversation for them really being open versus hey here's what's changing in the world here's why you know it's creating winners and losers how is this playing out for you and then so you kind of answered it in that question so the next one someone was asking if the two approaches can be mixed like what would your advice be if someone's trying to combine descriptive and narrative positioning yeah i think that's uh that, that's kind of impossible because you know it really is about what are we leading with and we can't lead with both mm -hmm. so are we leading with a story of change in the world or are we leading with a problem mm -hmm. and our solution and why it's better uh, i think there there's a pretty clear choice between those two um, that said you know the narrative approach there is a place for problems, challenges, and, and your solution. It just comes later. So, you know, because of this change in the world, there's some, you know, I call promised land sometimes, or lately I've been calling it the, the object of the new game, you know, this new game of, of uh, sub, the subscription economy or, or a drift calls conversational marketing. There's some goal to it. There's some uh, object. So, in Drift's case, you know, I, I forget exactly what they put it, but they, they said something like, uh, you know, uh, connect with your future customers right now. Mm -hmm. Some version of that. And uh, this uh, goal state should be kind of obviously desirable, but also hard to reach. If it was easy to reach, well, no reason for Drift or for your company. And so what are the obstacles to that? And, you know, there, of course, should be many. And those obstacles or, you know, those are the problems that people normally start with. But 
I think once they're in context with, well, what's the urgency? Why do we have to change from what we're doing and, and address these problems? That's where kind of the, the magic of the narrative positioning uh, works in, in framing them. Because we just start with the problems then, and, you know, the pain. Well, it's only the people who are screaming in pain who are going to come and who, who are going to, this is going to resonate with. You know, yeah. it's really those, just those early adapters. Mm-hmm. And then the next question one of our members put forward was, is one approach more or less difficult than the other and therefore better for inexperienced product marketers with maybe limited resource and a lot of time pressure? Um, I don't know if one is harder than the other. I think they both probably have their challenges. I, I don't, you know, my point of view is like, why would you do descriptive? Like, why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. That's not to say like, like I said, we, that's not to say we shouldn't be uh, identifying what the challenges are and how we overcome them. It's just not the frame for the, the high level message. And it, it is challenging. You know, some people, uh, you know, I wrote this post a few years ago called The Greatest Sales Deck I've Ever Seen. And it's about, uh, it lays out this framework uh, using Zwara's uh, sales deck as an example. And I've had so many people um, tell me that it's been helpful for them. I've also had a lot of people tell me, hey, I tried it, didn't work. Mm-hmm. And when I dive in, I asked them to send it to me. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, they've basically like replaced uh, the Zwara logo with theirs and like just change some <laughs> instead of the subscription economy, it's the whatever economy that uh-huh. sort of meant to them. And what I like to say is, hey, this is not a template. This is, this is, I'm not laying out like slide two should look like this, slide three should look like this. You know, um, these are principles that uh, seem to work. Uh, but every time I work with the leadership team on the story, uh, it's it's a different ball game, and it always seems to be slightly different in the actual progression. It is similar to movies. I mean, if you the, the 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 authors of the greatest books on how to write screenplays will often say, "Hey, if you just follow my my guide here, you're going to have a really bad film." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so use these as sort of principles for you know maybe helping you figure out and navigate some of the trade offs you'll have to make. Uh, but it's not a it's not a step by step template. Yeah. And could you think of any circumstances where maybe narrative isn't the better option? For example, is there any difference between B two B and SaaS or B two C or you know a legal company or a finance company? Um, like, is there any circumstances where you'd maybe kind of err on the side of descriptive, or is narrative fit for all? Well, my specialty and my experience has has really been B two B. Uh, that's pretty much uh, all of the work that I do. And so I, I think I'm not going to weigh in on <laughs> kind of those other areas. I will say, you know, in the legal field, there's a company called Logical, uh, B2B SaaS platform for legal teams. And, uh, actually I'm, I'm about to launch a podcast and Andy Wilson, the CEO is, is the, uh, will be the first guest. And he's going to talk all about how this, uh, narrative positioning has been kind of his, the, the guide for him in, in kind of navigating a lot of trade-offs or pitfalls and uh, growth challenges in the business. Um, I think whether you're, you know, th- this also gets to, you know, we're talking about this in the, in the context of product marketing. Um, but 
the work that I do, uh, when CEOs are coming to me for this, they're, they're looking for it more than just what are we going to say in sales and on the website. They're really looking for this as a kind of strategic uh, North Star, mm-hmm. that this story goes beyond marketing. Uh, and I think that's the right way to look at this. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned earlier kind of what not to do in terms of, you know, using the slides as a cut and paste job. Do you have any kind of best practices for narrative position if someone's kind of taken on this journey for the first time? Well, pretty much everything I've learned, I I try to tweet out or uh, write posts about. Um, You know, you can read everything uh, that I've written on my uh, Medium page, so it's medium.com slash at Raskin, uh, as all the posts I've, I've written. I'd say one of the things people struggle with is articulating this old game and new game. Mm-hmm. And a few things that I've learned there is one is that um, this, this switched from old game to new game should be independent of your product and and, and even your company. So, you know, the fact that uh, we're now in a subscription economy, that's true whether Zora exists or not. Um, Often I'll see people do them, you know, kind of say, hey, you know, the new game is basically our platform. (laughs) That's not uh, that's not the setup we're talking about. Um, The. Other thing is that old game uh, often will kind of say name it something kind of kind of really dumb sounding like the old game was you made bad decisions. Um, That was never anybody's winning game. So we want to position it so that we're actually saying, hey, you are playing the right game. Or you, you know, the game you're playing now it was it was the right one, but something changed, so that now you have to change. So it's a little bit less sort of finger pointing of hey, you have a problem or or you're you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, and then maybe the third thing I'll say is we do we are saying you're doing it wrong a little bit, right? We're saying hey, this old game of you know you're just selling things. So imagine Zora going to Ford, saying hey, you know the old game was ownership. Well, okay, you're basically telling Ford that they're 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 playing an obsolete game, mm-hmm. and so how do we uh, do that without being hated? Mm-hmm. And the way that I've seen it work really well is if the if if the sale the people giving the message can share something about how they made the transition, how they used to be playing the old game. So yes. Uh, we used to sell things and then, you know, or, or, you know, my old job, we used to do that and, and it was great. And then, you know, the subscription company came in and, and ate our lunch or whatever it is, you know, uh, some way that we can create some empathy. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the final question that was put forward was how do you differentiate positioning from messaging? Well, I think positioning is the, you know, the, the, the framework of what we're trying to do, which is we're trying to create space, own a space in the, the customer's mind. Uh, I, you know, 
I think this is actually very much tied to urgency. So positioning is we're not you know we're not just doing it to like have a unique place. We're doing it to uh, to to build urgency in the uh, in the buyer's mind for our solution. Mm-hmm. Messaging is the the words, the the instruments that or at least one of the big instruments that we have at our disposal for achieving that. Okay, well, that is all the questions from us today, Andy. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you must be super busy, um, but it's been great speaking to you. You're welcome, and uh, thanks so much for having me on, Brenny. It's been our pleasure. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show to speak about your day, a specific topic, or just your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.